RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today. Tour to Trails actually started more on the tour side than the event side. So um, uh, I was actually, it started in Bhutan, strangely enough. I was there as a journalist doing stories for some adventure magazines. Um, and yeah, just sort of uh, the experience I was having there in these lovely plush hotels um, kind of made me think we'd been out, we'd been mountain biking, trail running and, and whatnot during the day. And sort of at night, we were sitting in a five, six star hotel. There was a spa, there was, you know, ginger tea, there was a massage, there was this beautiful meal. It was it was Condé Nast sort of top end luxury. And I was, I kind of had a flash of feeling guilty about, you know, luxuriating in this, but I'm meant to be on an adventure story. You know, most of my adventure <laughs> journalism was all about hardcore, you know, go and hurt yourself and how much can you endure and all that sort of stuff. And here I am, yep, I went for a mountain bike ride and I went for a trail run, but here I am lying in a hot stone bath with herbs floating around me and drinking tea and... Sounds all right for me. Yeah, time yet. And that was it. I I was, you know, I don't know, I I think I was 30, I don't know, six or something like that at the time, so a fair while ago now. Um, But I kind of thought, oh, stuff feeling guilty. Like, you know, I can enjoy, you know, the adventure side of things, but actually I want a nice bottle of Shiraz at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then I just sort of started thinking, well, if, if I'm feeling like this, that I can mix you know, a bit of comfort and, and luxury with my adventures, then surely there's got to be other people's. Hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Today, I have two very special guests for you, Chris Ord and Michelle Hooper. Both of these guys I've known for quite a long time. I helped crew Michelle when she ran across Alara Pinter a few years ago, uh, during COVID times and both of these guys have just such inspiring stories and I wanted to share a little bit about their adventures with you. You see so many of us just love running adventures and using running as a means to travel the world and see beautiful places and Chris and Michelle do just that with the business that Chris started called Tour de Trails. Chris started this business as a way to see beautiful places and experience, I guess, a bit of luxury while on the run. And Michelle has since joined him. Both of these guys are partners in life and she's joined him as a tour guide on his trail business. Uh, Chris also runs many trail events down in Victoria, such as the Surf Coast Trail Marathon, Warburton Trail Fest, Gold Rush Run, Afterglow, Mount Biripmo. Uh, so many more. He used to do the Tassie Trail Fest as well. He also helps out at Hut to Hut. Um, so he's well known in the trail scene. He also consults all things trails for his day job as well. I really wanted to have these guys on because I wanted to talk about, I guess, getting out of our comfort zone and choosing a bit of a different sphere with running. And that might mean adventuring. Um, we've had a few guests on our podcasts recently such as Kelly Emerson who's traveled the world running and yeah this might be an easier way for people to be able to do that in a comfortable situation uh, or a comfortable setting I should say where they have some guides who can help prepare them and take them across landscapes that they would maybe not otherwise want to do themselves. So we talk all about tour to trails and the types of tours that they have, um, what people like, um, what they love to put on a tour, what are some of the common questions that people might have to see whether this would fit them. And yeah, you guys are just going to love this. Um, 
obviously this podcast there's a lot of banter because we're just really comfortable in each other's company and yeah I really think you will love this episode and I really think that by the end of this episode you're probably going to want to book a tour for 2024. So without further ado let me introduce you to Chris Ord and Michelle Hooper. Before we begin a message from this week's sponsor Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Chris and Michelle. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hello. Hey, Nick. Hello. So excited to have you guys on. Um, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I want to talk to women about being more adventurous with their running and what two better people to talk to about <laughs> that than you guys. Um, we've had Michelle on the podcast before. Obviously, Mish, and I got to spend lots of time with you running across <laughs> the Lara Pinta um, in the dark. <laughs> and you can listen to that episode in prior episodes of the podcast. You've been on a few times now, so that's really exciting. And people can familiarize themselves with your story. And you are one of our AMA ambassadors, a beautiful mom of two beautiful little girls living in Perth. And yeah, I'm so happy to have you back on. And Chris, our wonderful tour de trails person who is all things adventure and creates amazing adventures for people amazing trial races as well in australia in victoria thank you for coming on board as well also misha's partner in life so very thank you for having me Nick. Yeah, and, and a rma supporter and, and, and wannabe mum <laughs> one of the, the very first um and long-standing supporters of rma which i'm truly eternally grateful for thank you for always sharing our vision with people that you know and yeah supporting us as well because we love what you do you love what we do so <laughs> the win-win <laughs> situation <laughs> um but i wanted to quickly start with just a little bit of background about both of your lives because those that listening um might not know who you are so we'll start with chris so obviously you run Tour de Trails, which is a trail. Now, how old even encompass Tour de Trails? Well, <laughs> it's just it's huge. So you run races in in Australia, in from predominantly Victoria and the Surf Coast. Um, you do Surf Coast Marathon, Warburton Trail Fest, Gold Rush Run, Afterglow. I can't even say this last one. Mount Beripmo. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> yeah, did all right. Um, obviously you run Tour de Trails uh adventures across the globe as well which is is what we're really wanting to discuss tonight um and there's so much more to you as well so your day job as well is all around trails so do you want to just explain to people what you do in a nutshell Take your time. uh yeah it's it, it's a hard one to explain but I basically i do whatever i can to stay away from a desk and <laughs> get paid to be in the bush so anything i can do to be paid in the bush that's what I do. Um, so yeah, I went to the trails. Actually, started more on the tour side than the event side. So um, 
Uh, I was actually, it started in Bhutan, strangely enough. I was there as a journalist doing stories for some adventure magazines. Um, and, yeah, just sort of uh, the experience I was having there in these lovely plush hotels um, kind of made me think we'd been out, we'd been mountain biking and trail running and, and whatnot during the day and sort of at night we were sitting in a five, six-star hotel. There was a spa, there was, you know, ginger tea, there was a massage, there was this beautiful meal. It was it was Condé Nast sort of top-end luxury and I was I kind of had a flash of feeling guilty about, you know, luxuriating in this when I'm meant to be on an adventure story. You know, most of my adventure <laughs> journalism was all about hardcore, you know, go and hurt yourself and how much can you endure and all that sort of stuff. And here I am. Yep, I went for a mountain bike ride and I went for a trail run, but here I am lying in a hot stone bath with herbs floating around me and drinking tea. And the, the Sounds masseuse, all right for me. Yeah, time yet. And that was it. I, I was, you know, I don't know, I, I think I was 30, I don't know, six or something like that at the time, so a fair while ago now. Um, but I kind of thought, oh, stuff feeling guilty. Like, you know, I can enjoy, you know, the adventure side of things, but actually I want a nice bottle of Shiraz at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and then I just sort of started thinking, well, if, if I'm feeling like this, that I can mix, you know, a bit of comfort and, and luxury with my adventures, then surely there's got to be other people. So that's where Tour de Trail started, was was um, in Bhutan in a spa. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I set up the first tour uh, to Bhutan. Um, and we, we did that for a fair few years uh, with another adventurous mum, uh, Anna Frost, who some of your audience might uh, know of. Yep. Um, so we set that up, that tour up, uh, and that sort of propagated a few other ideas for different tours. In the background, somehow, yeah, the events that you mentioned sort of came along uh, for various reasons and, and took up probably more of the workload. But uh, the tours were always the heart and soul of, of I guess, Tour de Trails. Um, and, yeah, it was about going and, and having adventures around the world, um, but very much ones that were, yes, they were trail running, um, but they're also sort of melded and entwined with local cultures, food, the wine that I mentioned, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, staying in nice places where you could. Um, and, and I guess, you know, making it a running, a proper running holiday, not just a trade, it's not a training camp. We're not there to, you know, get fit or, or improve our technique or anything like that. We're there to literally have a holiday that happens to be running around on trails because that's our passion. Um, so yeah, that's that's the background of Tour de Trails. And the day job you mentioned is um I consult in how to develop trails essentially and how to develop trail um experiences next across mountain biking, trail running, hiking, um, all sorts of things. Um, mostly around Australia, but also um overseas. So um that between those sorts of things and still a little bit of journalism that somehow keeps me afloat just. Yeah. I mean, I don't even have time for all this, but like and you make it sound so easy um but I mean it wouldn't be easier I mean there's so much that goes into all of the things that you do um but obviously your experience in the trail industry has helped you to be able to craft these amazing experiences like even just talking about consulting around trails and how to make people's experiences better on trails like that's what you're putting into your tours as well so you know what people would love and what routes you would take to make something appealing and and more interesting to someone who's going to come along so you know you're supposed to be where you are um, because you've got great skills and you love what you do and it shines through in all all of your posts and the way you just speak and you light up when you talk about getting out in nature the the post and the marketing I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) so that's why I just write whatever comes out and I figure it's working 
it's just yeah. been honest, right? Like I'm not a marketeer. I hate I hate marketing, and I don't know how to do it. But um, I figure, as you say, if you're passionate about something, and, and um, like any job, there's there's lots of sort of things that you kind of troll through. I mean, doing an e-blast or marketing is they're the things that I really struggle with. But um, yeah. I guess what pulls you through is that passion, and and yeah, you know. I figure if I can sort of imbue some sort of passion in other people for trails and the outdoors, I'm fairly passionate about obviously being um, a caretaker of the outdoors and looking after the environment. And for me, the only way that I think we can do that is put people into the environment. And the best way to put people into the environment is, is via trails. So if we can have sustainable trails and good trails that that create good experiences that don't harm and, and can even put back into nature, um, and then we can curate things like tours around them or events um, then that helps people sort of become, you know, uh, I guess carers and, and have a value proposition for for the environment and look and want to look after it, which I guess is, is the ultimate aim. But also, you know, there's all the health and wellness that goes with it. Yeah, 100%. So how did you get into trail running? Like what was your, I mean, obviously you don't just trail run, let's <laughs> just see. Trails is very broad. You don't just <laughs> run, but what do you, I guess, what do you love about trail running and what made you passionate about that pursuit? Yeah, trail running was, I think I found my way back to it and I didn't even realise I was a trail runner. So I, I didn't run for a long time and and I wasn't trail running for a long time. But I was always, I guess I come from more of a trekking background. I in some ways, I don't consider myself a runner as such. But um, but I've always into the into the outdoors. I grew up running around the bush in Warburton, where the Warburton Trail Fest is. That's where I grew up. And, and I spent my days running up and down, just going into the hills where there were no trails. Um, you know, I didn't really like school. I didn't really have that many friends. So I kind of disappeared in, into the bush and just sort of, you know, searched out little creeks and climbed trees and that sort of stuff. So that's, the, I guess, the very core. That's where that was my safe place, I guess you'd say. Um, and and so then that sort of led to the only sport, you know, I was sort of mediocre at every sport, football, tennis, basketball. But um, I did okay cross country running. Um, I didn't really ever train, which has that's a, a habit that's continued to this day. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I and never I really trained, uh, yeah, but I somehow managed to flute my way and, and and stupidly enough got onto the Victorian cross-country running team. So I, I represented <laughs> myself cross-country. Oh, you uh, must have some innate ability then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is. But it was quite funny because I went, when I went to the, the camp uh, pre, you know, the Australian Championships, um, I was there with all the other, you know, kids who were in the Victorian team and they were like, well, who's your coach? And I was like, I don't have a coach. Well, how many Ks do you run in a week? Oh, I don't really run any Ks in the week. Well, who's your running club? I don't have a running club. And they all had coaches and running clubs and training oh. programs and I just, uh, and I was a fish out of water, you know. I mean, mind you, the, the story doesn't end that well. I came second last at the, in this training. <laughs> so that was where I figured training actually does work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, and then I kind of lost that for a long time. I think like a lot of people, I went off and partied and travelled around the, the world and um, kind of lost myself for a fair while um, and and then eventually found my way back to adventure, you know, and, and going to mountains, et cetera, through travel and trekking, uh, and that eventually led to a career as a, a magazine editor in, in the adventure space. Mm. Um, and that we then started covering trail running. And so I, I kind of went, oh, I'll go to a trail run and write a story and and whatnot and, and I kind of went oh it was like a light bulb moment I was like man this is what I've been missing for you know 10 or 15 years and it just fit like a glove um and so so yeah then I um I went and did my very first ever marathon any kind of marathon was um I, I don't even run 14 kilometers before uh but the story I wanted to get was with Dean Carnassus so a lot of people might have heard of Dean Carnassus the American guy famous for his endurance um feats and he was running the North Face 100 or the then North Face 100 now UTA in in the Blue Mountains 
So I went and did a story and, and thought, oh, I know this, the story could be me running the first ever marathon on no training with this marathon master. Um, so I went and did that and ran with Dean uh, the second Just half. Just in the Blue Mountains, nothing really. The Blue Mountains. <laughs> Nearly killed myself. I thought afterwards I was never going to run again. I, I thought I'd done, I, that yeah. was it. My name was gone. It was a stupid thing to do. I do not, you know, um, do not <laughs> encourage anyone to go and run uh, something 50Ks off no training and never having even tried going near it before. So... <laughs> But it did then spark everything. And then everything just rolled from there. I started Trail Run Mag, um, edited and published that for nine years. And and obviously I was sort of involved in the world. I loved the world. I loved the people in it. I loved the fact that um, it wasn't, I mean, it's competition, but it wasn't as competitive, especially back then. It was it was about experiencing places. And I'm not a competitive person. I, I couldn't give an ass if I, you know, beat someone or, or whatever. I like to to do the best I can do, but I like experiences, you know, going back to the, the tour design thing. It, I, I like the experience of trail running and trail running, even the events that were supposedly competitive were just everyone looking at the views, taking photos, having a beer afterwards. And it's like, this, this is my sport. This is, this is my thing. So um, yeah, that's how I got into trail running. Wow. I mean, just a little step into trail running. <laughs> There's a lot there to unpack, but I mean, what made you jump into event the event space then, managing your own running events? What was it about the experiences that you had that you wanted to replicate for other people through your own events? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the tours were, again, the focus of what I wanted to do. The event thing was an accident. Um, I was just doing a little bit of media work from a local council, Surf Coast, and uh, wrote a press pack. Part of the press pack was here's some stories the trail happens to be a marathon's length. So I thought, oh, who's going to be the first person to run it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they sort of said, oh, why don't you put on an event? And I said, well, I'm not an event operator, so that's why. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, at the time, you know, the curve curveballs of life, I was struggling, um, you know, pay the bills. And so I thought, oh, bugger it, I'll go and I'll try and do it. So I, you know, took money off my mortgage to put on the surf, the very first Surf Coast Trail Marathon. Um, scared me senseless. I was out at 2 a.m. the morning of the event, still marking the course because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, left everything till late. Uh, didn't have a mission board to help me. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and just put that on. So it was it was literally kind of not a mistake, but it was just happenstance. It wasn't, I didn't have this thing I wanted to put on events. But around the same time, I was helping design events for, for Mount Borbore at the time um, just to kickstart their green season. And that was that wasn't just trail running, that was an adventure race, that was a fly fishing festival, a kids' adventure festival, it was a whole bunch of things. And 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 yeah, that idea of uh, I'm definitely in that creative space rather than a, a competitive space. So the idea of creating something that I'm passionate about and I want people to have a good time in, it just again, it kind of just made sense and, and fit to me. And then you know, people won't believe me, but I do have a fairly good logistical brain, so things. Uh, I haven't got a very good detail brain, but I've got a good, good um, uh, logistical brain, which means I can just sort of see things as they need to fit together. Yeah. Um, and so th there's just very out, various elements um, of what I do. And then I can feel comfortable in the bush if I need to be out wrecking a trail and I'm going bush or something like that. I'm, I'm comfortable doing that. I'm comfortable. You know, that's, again, my safe space. So I just had all these sort of pillars of, of me as a person and the things that, that, that fueled my fires that sort of fit together. Um, and then once I did one event, and it nearly killed me, but I learned that it didn't kill me. So it made me stronger. And then I sort of just, again, creative. I had all these other ideas for, oh, I've got an idea for this event and that event. And as I went on, I again, I learned, you know, the last event that I created, well, not the second last one was Wild Mount. Super simple logistics, no buses. It's a mm. circle. You know, the very first one had buses. It was end-to-end. -end. There's all these logistical problems that I hadn't thought of. 
Um, so yeah, I've sort of slowly gotten better and, and there's still fairly grassroots events. And for me, it's not about so much the front of the pack. It's just about people coming. And, and my biggest thrill is always seeing the first time trail runner, the first time half marathon or the first time 5k. I mean, one of the, one of the best stories was I used to run the Tassie trail fest and there was a, um, a, a five, someone who wanted to do their very first 5k, you know, They'd never run, you know, more than 2K before and, and they came and did it. And Rochelle Olsen, who you may have had Rochelle yeah. on the program before from Escaping Your Comfort Zone, she was she runs my rego and um, she came up and said, can I run with this person just to make her feel comfortable? And off they went and they came back, you know, over the line crying. That was To them, that was like literally running their first 100K. And so for me, it's not about the beating of the chest and how big and bad can you be. It's about what is your achievement that that has changed your perspective on life and for that woman running 5k that was a life changer to her and and i like to think that if we can if we can sort of create the crucibles like events and tours and experiences that are out on trails that they're welcoming you know no matter what your skill level or your fitness level um that can then hook people and change people's lives in big ways and small ways um and you know trail run mag showed me that as well the stories the number of stories that people with you know health issues mental health issues um, you know, coming back from all sorts of things in their life that have been, you know, big, momentous, um, you know, unfortunate things in their life. And, and they've used trail running and, and nature to sort of come back. And so to be able to create tours and events where people can plug in and and get something out of it personally, but then give back, you know, I just, I think it's, it's a privilege. Oh, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head, like, and you do it so well, Chris, like your events, and, you know, I see a lot of people who compete in them or just compete's not even the right word here, participate in them and they're not at the front of the pack. They're doing it because they love the events that you put on and the experience of it, like especially mm-hmm. things like Warby. Like, and you've got that creative brain, like you say. You put on these events that are just such a great experience for everyone. So not only do you get to run, but you get to do a Lilo race Hello, where you can float down the river on a lilo. Like, I really want to come and do Warby. That looks like such a fun weekend. You, and you get to. to do great fun events, like even like Afterglow, everyone's running at nighttime and they all dress up in wild, crazy outfits. And like it's creating community. It's creating the experience of community. And I just think that's way more important than watching people run fast around a course. Like, yeah. Yeah. and that's people's lives through those types of experiences yeah and that's it i'm I, i'm guiltfully i get asked by a few people oh you know so who's running and they're talking about the lead you know the yeah. whether famous runners or well-known runners or accomplished runners and i, I very rarely look at the the competitor list and who's running yeah. and I, I don't know but i know i know joe bob's running and you know joe bob's uh, hasn't run a marathon before and that's what i'm interested in um and and those stories that you know again i'm a journalist by trade so i'm really interested in the story and yeah. the stories of the people who come back i mean warby warby i think it was last year um we had a guy who caught a train he was a he was a, a war veteran who caught a train um up didn't know he's not a runner he, he turned up with his unwieldy pack he was sleeping i don't think he was sleeping rough but he didn't have anywhere to stay yeah, um, and he just yeah what happened is he, he went and like ran the 50 I think or he know. ran 50 and he was he was the last one in and like he came in I think just after cutoff but everyone of course let him finish but no one had any idea about you know this guy his story and he came across and he was just sitting there by himself like at the finish line and 
um, I went and sat next to him and I was like, oh, good job. And then he started telling a story that, you know, he got here just off on his, on his own back and he's never run before. And, you know, this was something that, you know, really inspired him. He's been going through some hard times and he just started crying. I remember you started talking to him after that as well. He was, yeah, yeah super inspirational. Yeah. And there's stories like that that, you know, to me, that's that's the heart and soul. You know, the 5K woman in Tassie, the, you know, that guy that comes in and, um, and, and, you know, we always joke about it, but, you know, the hugs we give out at the end, you know, that's, you know, that human connection. And, again, you you know, we just talked about being tired before we, you know, started the podcast and everything's going on in the world at the moment. It's yeah. bloody tiring, you know. It, it, it yeah. gets you. So, you know, if we if, – if somebody can cross that line and we can give them a hug and say, well done – uh, it doesn't matter where the hell they are or what time they've done or anything. Yeah. It just matters that they're there and that's it. Um, and so, again, if we can, you know, if Mission and I can sort of create these these zones where people feel safe and to come and try that, you know, never having run whatever and and jumping in and just being part of it, um, you know, that's that's key for us. And from the people who run our coffee vans, at Warby in particular, you know, they come and they're kids. They're all going to the event um you know and it's and it becomes a family um not just a family of you know the the core crew who organize the event but the, you know the, all the volunteers and then all the, the food vans and they come back um not not because they do well at the event but just because it's part part of their their family and we you know we feel they're part of our family so yeah. i think it's i don't know more human connection rather than less um it's it's never about making money or um, or you know, creating the hardest thing known to mankind just because it's mm. it's it's about uh, yeah the community the sense of connection that you talk about. Mm, love it, just right up my alley. <laughs> so Michelle, your turn. So do you want to just give everyone a little bit of background about your running journey for those that haven't listened to prior episodes of the podcast? Um, do you want to just tell everyone how running entered your sphere and when you started trail running too? after that sure um well I kind of came back to it as well I mean my my whole life has been more around trekking um my dad and I used to go for hikes all the time before I started running went trekking in Nepal so being outdoors was kind of something that I really like to do uh and get a lot of enjoyment out of um but mainly my running journey actually started once I had children and it was more so, funnily enough, and probably many mums relate to this, was, you know, I just I wanted to get outside and exercise, but then having two little kids, you know, going to the gym for classes at a certain time was very difficult. Um, I didn't want to pay a lot of money, so I ended up just starting with the double pram walking and then I started running and walking and then eventually when I was able to get out on my own, I started just running by myself. Um, and then I did my first park run, I think, not long after I stopped breastfeeding my youngest daughter. And then I'm very competitive with myself. Um, and so that kind of lit a fire in me and um, got the competitive juices going again to, like, try to beat the time. And then within five months mm -hmm. I had stumbled into my first um, 80K ultra, which... I did very poorly in, as in uh, I didn't uh, approach the situation very well now in hindsight. You sound um, like Chris. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I would say, I would say that most people's first ultra is not great. 
<laughs> uh, let me think. Actually, mine was really good, but anyway, like, yeah, about me. Um, you're prepared. You're always I was prepared. prepared. That's yeah. that's that's why. Yeah. I'm normally always prepared too, but I was just. I think as most people are like in their first ultra, they're like, yeah, I'm gonna smash it. I'm gonna like ramp up way too quick, and then I got yeah. injured, and then. Anyway, it was a great experience and it definitely left um, me wanting more in terms of um, pushing myself and being outdoors and trail running. Um, a lot of why I love running has nothing to do with running itself, I've come to figure out. Um, it's mainly being outdoors and the adventure that running brings, um, the exploring that running brings to my life. Um, if I just have to run down a road, I will have zip motivation to do that. That's, yeah, not at the core of why I run. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and so since uh, that first ADK Ultra, I've done a lot of adventuring kind of by myself, especially through COVID because, um, you know, events stopped and we were kind of forced to figure out what to do to keep ourselves busy. Um, and so, yeah, I have done some adventures on the Cape to Cape and Larapinta with you guys. And then um, now definitely, uh, you know, I love travelling the world and seeing, you know, beautiful trails on foot through Tour de Trails and I love my my role as a guide in that. And um, I think... Yeah, it's definitely made me a happier, better, well-rounded mum, that's for sure. Um, and I honestly, I, I don't know exactly what I'd be doing if I wasn't, if I hadn't started running. It was only four years ago now. So it's, yeah. not, a, it's not as long, long-standing as Chris, but um, yeah, it was only four years ago I started, five, almost five. Which is really amazing. And, but then like, if you think about that, it's not a very long time, but you've done like a world of time through like you're running. Yeah. Like you've just covered so much ground, literally. <laughs> um, literally so much ground. Yeah. Um, you know, but it shows what you're passionate about, what you have chosen and curated for your life. Hmm. Um, you know, obviously you met Chris, which changed your world as well, and you know, became part of this tour de trails family and yes you're a guide and you're partnered with Chris and you create these adventures for other people but you've also curated these adventures for yourself in your own life you know it's nothing for you to think of an idea and execute that and as we've talked on this podcast before and I really think people should go back and listen to the two episodes that we've recorded um, one about you going across the Cape to Cape and the other one was about run, us like doing the Lara Pinta together. But you're really good at finding things that light your soul on fire and executing those things. Obviously, a lot of it's for personal reasons as well mm -hmm. um, and personal growth um, and then now bringing that to other people's lives as well through your experience as a guide. What do you love about guiding other people, especially females? I really want to get the perspective of, of you as a female guide because you will have clients that come on to these tours who might be a mum just like you who've left mm. their family at home or whatever. And what do you love about guiding these women in these adventures? Um, well, just guiding in general. What I love about it is um, I think the whole process of dreaming up 
the adventure, as you said. It's something I do for myself, but then like starting to help Chris with dreaming up um, like new tours that we've done this year and Crete was a new one that we kind of dreamt up together or he had the idea and then we started dreaming it up together. I love seeing that process come into fruition and then all of a sudden you're standing on a trail and you've got clients with you and, um, yeah, it's just like this full circle experience which is really rewarding um, in terms of actually guiding on trail. Like uh, the way that it works, uh, for, for many people who don't know when we're on tour, there's usually always two of us there, at least Chris and I, and we have a local guide as well from time to time, most of the time, but from time to time. And um, Chris is a lot faster than me on trail and I I love for him to be up the front and generally how we work it is we try to sandwich in the the clients and so I I happily take my place as the back guide um one thing I've realized being a back guide it's it's uh you you get a lot more clients who are doubting themselves I guess who are who have those questions of um am I good enough to be here am I going to hold everyone back am I going too slow am I going far and constantly Chris and I get this question throughout the tour I don't want to hold you guys up and we are always saying like this is your running holiday this is your experience like do not stress about that like our job Chris and I is to work around you so it's cool being able to step into that role as cheerleader as well and just be like no you've got this and I'm here I'm here to keep you safe but you do you and you you have your adventure. Don't don't let those thoughts kind of interrupt uh, the experience that you're having and that you should be having here. So I think that that's really cool. Um, in terms of mums, there I don't think we've had too many mums to younger kids. It's mainly me because I'm usually the one who's running along with my kids on the phone. Saying <laughs> yeah. hi to everyone. Um, but yeah, I think. I think just in general, being up the back just makes it uh, really special to see them when they come through to the end and then they have this moment of, like, elation that they could do it because our, our tours are, they are relaxing and they are a holiday, but Chris also likes to make sure there's an, a challenge element to them. Mm. So when you get to the end of them, uh, a lot of the time they are definitely the same as at the end of a race when you get there, that feeling of like, oh, my God, I did it. Like I doubted myself, but I did it. And, um, yeah, it's it's very cool. The whole tour, I guess, group becomes a family by the end of it. You spend so much time together on trail. For example, the coast to coast, you spend 10 days um, of five to eight hours on trail a day you just become his family and by the end of it like you're just all so elated and yeah just like this cool little family and we kind of say like a lot of our clients are return clients because once they're in the tdt fam then you're kind of stuck <laughs> yeah. yeah we keep bugging them on the whatsapp the next tour. <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the thing, right? I mean, you guys are pretty easy to get along with. <laughs> pretty easy. It's pretty easy to get roped in, let's be honest. Um, do you ever feel guilty about, like, just getting that mum guilt, like, when you're on tour or do you think, I mean, 
Although in saying that, like, as you know, I think this is fabulous for you and it's every mum should be allowed and allow themselves mm-hmm. the space to grow and learn um, because it makes us better mums. Do you ever mm-hmm. feel those feelings of guilt or anything like that? I always feel guilty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's That's not like you go very, very short answer to that. I always feel guilty that I'm also a person who... Uh, I like to um, accept the emotion that I'm feeling and kind of work through why I'm feeling it. And, you know, I talked to Chris about it as well. He's a parent. He's away as well. Yeah. Um, so I do feel guilty all the time. But at the same time, it's it's like this knife edge that you got to balance on. You know, I I want my kids to see me pursuing my passions and being adventurous and doing the things that I want to do as well. Um, and they're there with me. Like they're not physically there with me, but I call my kids every day. I'm like, oh, my God, look at, you know, look at this farm or look at this mountain range. Like they're there. They're kind of they're living what I'm experiencing as best as they can. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also very aware of the fact that, you know, I love my kids more than anything, but I certainly, I try my best not to 100% live my life through them because one day, you know, we hope that all our kids become independent adults. And one day, you know, if I'm not um, channeling my pursuits now and, and the things that make me happy one day, I think I feel, I will feel really empty when they do go away. And so I always want to you know, keep making sure that I'm putting me first and then my kids can also benefit from that and um, they'll have good role models in both Chris and I, you know, showing them that, you know, you can adventure, you can be a good parent, you can still be present when we're home. Um, Yeah, I think that's, they're all really important things to me. Yeah. And you set such a great example of that, both of you. And you have taken your kids on adventures as well. So that's exciting. And as your girls are getting older now, I'm sure there's more adventures to come um, with them. You know, I've seen you going with Chris and his girls out into the mountains for treks and things like that. And it's teaching them so many life lessons about what's important in life as well and being together as a family unit and so much they can learn from being in nature. So. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So let's talk about Tour de Trails um, and the experiences that people can have through these amazing mm-hmm. tours. So, Chris, do you want to <laughs> give us a, a rundown of what events you have on the calendar for this year's over now, but for next year so people can get, and obviously I'm going to put all this in the show notes, but so people could get excited. What kind of tours are you running in 2024? Uh, yeah, so we're pretty much a repeat of this year, I think. It, so we start off, well, actually, no, something new this year, uh, sorry, next year is yeah. the Bali tour. Um, so Mish and I went over and recced Bali. Um, I'll, you know, I'll put my hand up and say, honestly, I'm not usually a Bali kind of person. Um, mm-hmm. But we, you know, just looking at our other tours are all in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment. So, you know, flights are expensive. Um, the time taken to get there is is a little bit more extensive. So it's a bit more of an investment. And 
and nearly you get a lot of people who will go over there but then obviously do more travel so but you're looking at the market that can do that can take two three four weeks off and away they go um and our tour is part of their their travels so bali was the idea well let's go somewhere where we can get there and back in a week it's cheaper to get there it's cheaper to operate in so the, the price of the tour could be a little bit cheaper but the the experience is still um high so you know i think pretty much every place we're staying has got a pool etc so we went over and recce and it was we were really just trying to find well how can we do the non-barley barley you know we we didn't <laughs> we didn't want to do what you know that side of barley that i know for me is like yeah not that interested um and yeah we went and recce it uh the idea was to go from coast to coast so similar to england but um in barley um but as as on as many trails as possible over a couple of volcanoes uh inactive volcanoes um <laughs> lucky we, um, <laughs> we uh sorted that out and and the tour look the, the recce was really good and and i went there thinking 50 50 whether this is even worth worth sort of creating a tour um but came away going it yeah, definitely worth worth the tour so um that's in may still some spots left um so yeah may is bali uh then we fling around to uh july um where we have the france tour again so our first one was this year um there there are a lot of tours in france and there's obviously utmb and, and lots of events around the same area um our one's a little different we come into geneva and we we basically do an, an a to b over the mountains and we finish in chamonix so some of the other tours sort of do the loop or they just base themselves in chamonix and do a bunch of runs we we do sort of a, a bit more of an adventure run uh, in terms of going from one place to another that said we do still stay in fairly decent hotels uh one night in a refuge um so yeah that's the france a lot of climbing in that one so bali will be uh a bit more of a running holiday like crete france yeah. there's a little bit more challenge going on but still you know good days out high mountains um from france then we go back into uh england coast to coast um, so that one's a bit more of a challenge run, not so much in terms of it's tough running, it's just 10 days of running. Mm. So, and, and, you know, you, the aim is to get from one coast to the other, you know, you pick up your pebble on one side and the idea is you throw it in the other 330 odd Ks later. So, um, you know, we stay in beautiful little B&Bs and pubs, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we eat well, we sleep well. So the recovery is good. Mm. Um, but it is day after day of, of running. Um, it's stunning. You know, you go over the Lake District into the Yorkshire Dales and the North York Moors. So some beautiful natural wild areas as well as going from village to village. Um, we're thinking at this stage, logistics are getting a little harder over, over there. Um, and we have been running that one for six years or something now. So uh, we think that 2024 may be the last English coast to coast tour that we'll do and we'll look to use that time in 2025 for for somewhere else another destination so if anyone's keen for the English one it's it's probably now or never to be honest um uh and then yeah then we turn around and hope to go back to Crete again so Crete is definitely more a little bit similar to Bali in terms of it's a running holiday um there's less lot less challenge uh in in Crete there's one day that Mish will tell you um it's what it's only 20 something k but uh it's still a pretty tough day uh a lot of vert um technical trails but it's stunning it's lost world sort of stuff um yeah. but yeah in general it's it's very much a, a running holiday lots of time to sort of lays about on the beach and drink cocktails and swim in the med basically um and the food you know enjoy the food and the hospitality of um of, of the cretans with a little bit of world war ii history too that we sort of touch touch upon in a couple of places so they're the the current tours um on on plan there may be a return to bhutan 
Uh, that one's still in the mix. Um, and again, would probably be the last time we go there if we do go. Um, and then other than that, you know, Mission and I are always up for bespoke tours. So if running groups or um, family groups or friend groups, you know, have six plus people, um, you know, we're, we're more than happy to sort of dive in and either design something or take people. I used to do a lot of tours around Australia, East, East Coast Tassie, Grampians, et cetera. So there's sort of ones that are there off the shelf ready to go for people who have, you know, a decent size group. Amazing. Amazing. What um what do you like about the differences like in each of these tours? So obviously they're all in very vast different places. So you've got like, you know, England and then you've got Crete in the like I mean, very different. Like then you've got the high mountains of like Chamonix. Like what makes you choose these other than obviously your own interests, like what makes you choose these adventures? that are so different like why wouldn't you just I guess put them in Australia I don't know on some boring coastline what makes you think of yeah. these places is it somewhere you wanted to visit it goes back to the same you know why people travel you know looking for that that difference of culture yeah. to be immersed somewhere different to learn um you know in my day job in terms of doing you know tourism consultancy you know they talk about transformative travel um, and the trends are sort of showing us that people again don't want to just sit and lie on a beach anymore they want they want to go and do something that's usually active that's transformative to themselves and that that can be you know a, a big physical challenge a mental challenge that they get through but it also could be just learning about another culture or you know experiencing new food and you come away and you're inspired to go and cook well that's transformative travel because you've been inspired to change you in some large or small way um so I definitely look at places that um have got that cultural element and where we can kind of engage as much as possible in local villages yeah. um, and local people. And you might think, well, England's not that much different to us, but when you run across it for 10 days and you're in tiny little villages, um, you know, it, it, the, the subtleties of their different cultures and, and yes. their communities definitely sort of come out, you know. So it's not as, as vastly, as obviously as different as, say, Bhutan, mm. but it, it is different. And, you know, you could say a trail's a trail, but it, it's kind of not, and I think, the, the value of a trail run tour where it's, you know, six to 10 days or up to 15 in Bhutan where you're on these trails, you experience them in a different way. It's like trail running is equivalent of slow travel mm. where where it, you get to seep into the culture and the place and the people a lot more than you would even if you go overseas for a trail run. You go over, you go to UTMB, it's a festival, you're there, you run your, your guts out. Uh, it's beautiful, great trails, and you're gone. Yeah. And, there's less cultural immersion um, and, and part of that transformative travel is in the culture, the food, the drink. You know, even in, in Crete, we we uh, sit and have um, a, a couple of hours with a local um, sommelier. She's a trail runner uh, and, and a leading expert on Cretan wine and wine in, in general. And so we we have this, this full-on lunch where she takes us through local Cretan wines and, you know, why they are the way they are, why they're good, why they're bad, the history of it, going back to Greek wine, et cetera. And you come away from that having learnt all this stuff about Cretan wine as well as you have a couple of wines. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you're immediately transformed and <laughs> opportunity you're also transformed because you learn stuff. So I think that's what's missing in terms of, you know, even if you're just on your, your regular normal holiday and you happen to go for a trail run while overseas, that's still very different to the way that we immerse people into culture. Um, obviously, when we're looking at where to go, uh, there's always going to be a bit of personal interest, and I sort of tend to go towards those more culturally immersive places. There's the logistics, you know. Um, I know for tours, 
having done more expedition style tours in the past, obviously the logistics of that gets a whole lot harder. So we do look for places where um, the logistics are kind of set up in place or there there are villages to villages. So you can run a minibus around to get your luggage around and we can go into the into nature. And then the landscape, you know, the landscape in between the villages needs to be worth mm. running. And that's what I was worried about Bali. But um, you know, in the middle of Bali, it's 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 just amazing. So it's kind of a balance between yeah, you know, the cultural immersion, you know, the food, the um, the assistance and the logistics. Um, and an example of that, you know, I, I'm still fairly keen at some stage in the future to do a um, a trail run. Uh, well, two two that I'm keen on. One's in Turkey and and one's in Jordan. Um, you know, Jordan's got the Jordan Trail, which if people don't know about it, it's a long distance trekking trail that's been set up by the Tourism Association for multi-day long distance trekking so you know it's perfectly therefore set up for a trail run because there's you know bedouin villages that we can stay at that are set up to take walkers in we yeah. just sort of you know do double the distance and suddenly it's a trail running holiday so um things like that kind of work same in in um, turkey you know the the, the cappadocia ultra trails just on with simone brick um uh doing very well over there um in the days just gone so they know they know trail running they have trails and there's villages everywhere um there's, there's a trail there called the La Cien Way um that I'm really keen to kind of do and that goes again because it's set up for for long distance walkers it's set up with trail with um villages in between which makes those logistics feasible for a, a trail run tour amazing so what kind of clients do you get interested in these trails like what kind of clients did you have on board this year in some of these adventures you know, wide range, I would say, which I think is the really cool thing about it as a guide as well is, um, you know, you get you get people who are just wanting to travel and run and have kind of stumbled across TDT and or have heard about us at one of the events and like, oh, well, that was a good vibe at the event, so we're going to tag along. Um, you get, you know, married couples. We just had a married couple uh, in Preet or get partners um and so that's like a cool experience for them to do together as well um and then you know you you get your faster runners uh runners that are definitely experienced on trail but then you also get uh runners who you know the reason they're there is they they want that comfort and assistance of having you know a safe way to move through a country that they're not probably familiar with and they probably wouldn't do that trail on their own yeah. Um, and, you know, we've had some of our rad older clients, and I say older purely just to describe their age because, like, Lee, Lee is 69 <laughs> and she pretty much did 300Ks of the coast-to-coast -coast trip yeah. and she's amazing and she's such a, she's such a trooper. Um, and that's why, like, really, you know, our clients, they're so wide ranging you get fathers and sons we've had um you know gareth and rob come back you know lo lots of cool different relationships form you know within our little family as well when we're away so yeah it's cool to see such a wide range yeah that's cool so mm. what kind of costs like are involved like we can talk about it here like what kind of <laughs> I mean, it does, it's not free. Like what kind of costs yeah. like are involved in like if someone wanted to go on one of these tours, obviously everything's on the websites anyway, but, you know, let's talk about Bali, for example. What kind of ballpark costs would that cost a single person to go to the Bali tour? 
Yeah, Bali's uh, three and a half, isn't it, Bob? 3,400. Yeah, yes. so, yeah yep. three and a half. And that's that's one of our a cheap, to be honest, the, the cheapest um, yep. tour purely because it is Bali. So costs, you know, are, are down. Um, and then tours go up to, you know, most tours sort of sit around that five and a half, six thousand dollar mark, yep. um, which is fairly stock standard. You know, if you go to Intrepid, et cetera, if you want to do a six, seven, eight day um, kind of tour, it's probably middle to slightly upper. Um, you know, I've run tours in Bhutan. We had one, the very first tour in Bhutan was like 15,500 US um, ahead wow. because we did it at six star. So it really depends on the tour and how it's set up. Yeah. Um, the sweet spot I try and find is, yes, the tours will be likely slightly more expensive than your bargain basement, you know, regular tour operator. Um, but that is so we can put in some nice hotels and we can get the minibus to run people around or whatever the logistical sort of mm -hmm. impossible. You know, I always go, well, I'd rather do what creates the best experience and then whatever that cost is what it costs. And if the market, you know, is, is good with it. Um, we do find that when people come on it, they they sort of get that and they, you know, the 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 they feel the value for money. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes when you're looking at the cost, it's like, well, that's that. It, you know, obviously we don't do the airfares, so you book your own airfares on top of that. Yeah. Um, but again, that's very stock standard to most sort of travel agencies or, or, or tour companies. Um, so yeah, we we think that sort of Five and a half, six thousand dollar mark is usually what most tools would be, but it'll go up and down. Um, different countries cost different, you know, dollars to operate in. Um, Bhutan, for instance, is is quite an expensive one to operate in. Um, yeah. So you know, if we get another tour up with that, that's probably at the moment that's like a nine thousand uh, dollar US dollars. Um, whereas we're trying to get it down sort of to seven thousand, but that's again that's US, and when the Australian dollar is not doing well. You know, it's a different kettle of fish. So, um, but that's also why we've been looking at coming closer to home and and looking at what destinations can we sort that are, um, if not cheaper on the ground, um, at least cheaper to get to, and therefore make the overall, um, package a little bit better and easier time wise. So places like we've we've been looking at. I've had one planned for a long time in New Caledonia that we've just never got off the ground. Um, and I saw flights there the other day for like six hundred and fifty dollars return. Um, so you know that's a lot different to a you know anywhere from three to four thousand dollar return to Europe at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you do any in Australia? Yeah, look, definitely. And I, I started out doing it in Australia, um, and and I think what I found was that people were willing conceptually to go. Yeah, I'll pay you know five six thousand bucks to go overseas on a tour because that's hard to organise. But as an Australian, I can do my own thing. You know, in in Australia. Um, and there's a few other operators locally, especially in Victoria, that do a great job of sort of that weekend sort of side of things. Um, I, I just couldn't make make it work essentially um, because there wasn't enough people willing to pay the kind of money that you needed to do it. Um, that said, you know, we always offer bespoke tours um, and we have logistics set up for things like the Grampians, East Coast Tassie, Wilson's Prom, you know, anywhere where someone just says, you know what, I just want it all done for me. I just want to rock up, yeah, up, and I want to run, I want to be told where to go. Uh, and I want to be fed, you know, along along the way and have safety and all sort of stuff. Um, we've got sort of a whole bunch of those that are ready to go in Australia, but just nothing that's set on a on a calendar. Yeah, yeah. So, what does like a typical day on tour look like? Like, I've just woken up, <laughs> Michelle. Tell me what's happening now. I'm on the tour. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, usually what happens is. Uh, you know, the night before, we'll have a briefing uh, at our dinner. So we all come together usually for dinner. Uh, we laugh, we joke, we tell stories about the days, 
gone. And then we usually just have a very quick briefing on, um, you know, what time uh, we need to be up, what time breakfast is, uh, and just instructions for first thing in the morning. So lovely Nick wakes up in the morning, she'll wander down. Well, actually, no, you'll pack your bags most likely. So you'll pack your luggage for the day um, and you'll have your running pack ready for your run, um, usually, say, be ready for a 20K run. Uh, We'll come down to breakfast, which is included. Uh, All of us eat together generally. Uh, And then we'll have a proper briefing for the day ahead, weather, safety, um, if we're splitting up logistics, et cetera. Uh, From there, we usually take off and dependent on how long it is, when I say that we like to cruise through nature, we cruise through nature. So 20Ks can take, you know, four to six hours depending on the, like the elevation and, you know, where we're running. But we stop a lot. We take photos a lot. We eat a lot. <laughs> we- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's a very, like, it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't been on it on one of our tours before that we definitely just love to experience where we're running through. Yeah. We'll stop on swings, we'll talk to farmers, we'll jump in the local river, like whatever we come across, we we have no set timeframes most of the time unless there's uh, a logistical target we have to meet at the end of the day, like say gondolas closing at five and we have to get there but uh, we usually come together for lunch as well whether that is uh, on trail if we have a packed lunch and there's no restaurants on that along the way we usually take a packed lunch we'll all sit and eat together uh, if not we'll stop uh, somewhere along the way uh, then we usually run into the next town or accommodation your luggage will already be there uh, we'll get you checked into your rooms. You guys shower, have your free time, um, depending on where we are. Like in Greece, we would go for a swim at the beach, have a cocktail, uh, explore the town that you're in, and uh, then we'd come back together for dinner and then we'd do it all again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. Um. So what kind of preparation would people need to do for these tours that's probably one of the questions you would get mostly um you know you said (laughs) before you get a lot of questions around pace and things like that but what kind of do people have to prepare for these tours I guess probably some of them you would need to prepare somewhat you're asking the guy who doesn't prepare yeah Uh. let's not ask Chris let's ask Michelle (laughs) what do you recommend recommend preparation (laughs) You go, babe. I right, look. I, I usually talk about. Um, I mean, it depends on the tour. So, yeah. uh, and sometimes it's things you can't train for. Bhutan, you know, it's you can't train for altitude, right? Um, so, for something like that one, where there's a lot of up, a lot of elevation, you know, I, it's more about strength and conditioning than it is about miles. I think everyone gets into this: how many k's have I got to kind of do? Um, it is more about strength and conditioning, absolutely. And I mean, proofs in the put. I think the sec, uh, the first tour I did of Bhutan, I had not done enough training as the guide, yeah. <laughs> but I did go and do a bunch of strength and conditioning. And that was, you know, I went and said, look, I know I don't have the time in my life to be doing, you know, massive Ks. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of did some good strength and conditioning sessions and 
that was probably my best ever tour. Just got through it, you know, fine. Because again, you're moving slowly. The the the, yeah. the thing is, you move slowly. So generally, injury is is a lot less of a worry because you're not redlining, you know, ever. You know, unless you know we had clients who want to go for a bomb down a hill or something. But essentially, you're not redlining, so injury concerns are less. And you you can go further than you think you can. I mean, if you're running at sixty percent with lots and lots of stops and a sausage roll in between, well. <laughs> You know, it's a lot different than even coming to Afterglow and smacking out your 21 at your fastest pace, mm, two yeah. totally different things. So um, in general, we sort of say because most of our runs are sort of from 15 to, say, 30K, if you can do a half marathon with some elevation on a trail at 60%, you know, just training pace, and then you can walk out the front door the next day and do exactly the same again and do that fairly comfortably, then you then you're going to be good. Um, because you can sort of extend past, you know, 21K. We don't, you know, the longest days we have are sort of uh, in England. England's probably the one that, um, strangely enough, is the one that I would say you need to prepare for the most. And again, that's just about, that is probably a little bit more in terms of doing a, a little bit of the distance because we do have some back-to-back -back marathon days. Um, yeah. Again, they're long days, they're slow, but they are still a marathon. And then what happens is you go up, you're in the mountains, uh, a lot of soft ground, um, and then you're in the Yorkshire Dales, a lot of soft ground, and you come out of that and you start to go from village to village. So, yes, you're on farmland and, and soft ground, but then you're on hard ground as well, you know, back, back village lanes. And you find that the body doesn't like, you know, banging on, on, on the hard bitumen when you've got to go between little villages. Um, so sometimes if you haven't done at least a few Ks and you haven't done a bit of strength and conditioning, uh, that one can get you injury-wise. Mm. Um, people, most people can do the distance because, again, we can walk if we need to. It's not a, it's not a problem. It's not a race. But injuries, I've definitely had a few who've kind of had to, um, you know, pull the pin, and including myself, a couple of times where I didn't pull the pin, but I was close to it. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the one that really we ask the questions and, and really recommend people train. But two two half marathons, easy pace, back yep. to back, you're good. Okay. So what do you think like is the sort of stuff people need to have? Do they need certain gear to be able to come on these tours or like what do you provide and what do they need to bring? They might change, I guess, for different tours what you'd need to bring, but what's it's the standard question. gear you would need yeah. to have? <laughs> yeah, you, you want to go, Misha? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, you know, if you're doing a... Uh, marathon and you're not doing it obviously in the tour but if you're doing a marathon distance uh, race pretty much the same gear that you would have um, on you there you you want to be prepared to have enough water for probably you know depending on the day and we brief you on on the day um, but enough water to get you through the day time-wise not distance-wise so time-wise six hours on trail uh, you want to have just your standard run pack, trail shoes, um, usually like to take headlamp, um, just all the basic things yeah. that you, you would pack for a, a, a normal kind of, I would say, marathon distance running race. And then where there are additional things that we require, say if we're, we're heading up high, we'll, we let you know um, in the briefing and also before the tour, um, you know, certain things like thermals or uh, rain jackets, um, that would be of use as well. Occasionally you'd need um, poles. poles. So yeah. for something like France, there's a lot of elevation and we'd recommend poles. And if you haven't used poles before, then we recommend doing a little bit of training because, it, it, you know, it does mm. use it. It does help. 
Use it helps. It really does. Um, and I always say, you know, the most important bit of kit that people need is, is you know, sense of fun, sense of humour, <laughs> you know, willingness to be adaptable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's probably <laughs> the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question is being adaptable because I'm sure there's things that happen that make you have to adapt and change, whether it's weather, whether it is someone's unwell, injured, whatever, on trail. Like, like, I guess, what? how do you navigate those challenges when you're on tour? Who wants to answer yeah. this one? <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess that's, you know, and that's where the work we yeah. do comes in. Um in, in terms of being not just guides but hosts, concierges, you know, like that's our role is to constantly be on, um, you know, from the time we wake up to the time that our guests go to sleep to make sure that everything's okay. And sometimes that's logistical and someone's hungry and you get them, you know, or they're thirsty, you get them a drink, but sometimes it's emotional, um, uh, you know, and someone needs a bit of support. And, and this is where, you know, it's about reading people and understanding people. And I've got to say, you know, Mish is way better at this than than I am. Um, but we we tend to sort of balance each other out, which is quite nice. You know, sometimes somebody needs the, you know, I'll be the, yeah, it's, it's good. The sun's still shining. Everything's fine. You know, it's all going to shit. But I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Come on. You know, my, my approach is positivity and glass is half full and, you know, we'll get through this together. Um, Mish made the point to me on, on one of the coast to coast, you know, sometimes people... Um, that's not what resonates with some people. They want the guide to be saying, yeah, it's, it's a really hard day, you know, I'm hurting as well, et cetera, and because that makes them feel, oh, it's okay that I'm hurting, you know, it's okay that I'm tired, that I, that I couldn't be bothered going on because, if you know, you know, guides like that, then it's okay for me to be like that. Mm -hmm. So, and that's just about picking those those moments. And, you know, I've learned off from Mish, you know, in terms of that, that human dynamic, um, you know, and how to sort of move through that. So, you know, we do brief people about that adaptability and, and that people do need because, yeah, stuff happens on tour and we need to change plans um, occasionally and that could be weather-related, it could be accommodations shut up overnight, who knows, um, and, and we have to shift. We had one instance <laughs> in England where there was a, a mistake with one of our suppliers on the ground and they booked all our accommodation one day out. Oh, no. Tour was. So, you know, again, we kind of, we had to sort of break the news to people and said, you know, well, you know how you usually go to the start and we stay in the village of the night and then we run the next day? Well, we're actually driving from Manchester to St. B's uh, and we're running straight away <laughs> <laughs> so that we could then get on to the right schedule for the accommodation. Um, mm -hmm. And again, you know, I, you'd be surprised how that people just roll with it. Um, I mean, I think we're attracting a very particular kind of person. Someone who's running trails is looking for that, you know, little sense. And adventure is where... You don't know the outcome. So, you know, in tours, we know the outcome. We know we're going to get you through. We know it's all going to be safe, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes I think people, when it's a little bit like that, they're really accommodating. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think they go with the flow a lot more than, than and, yeah, you know, I just think the group kind of helps, they eggs each other on in that adaptability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be adaptable in all sorts of, well, in all of life. So, you know, it's no different being on trail <laughs> and having to adapt. I mean, I imagine some of the places you go to, the weather can be quite erratic as well. So, you know, you might have to totally adapt there, changing routes and all that sort of thing. I guess you've probably got to have all of that in the background as an option if need be or bunkering down, all those sorts of things. Um, have you ever had like 
moments where you were a bit worried with the weather? Have you been pretty good so far with weather? Um, I would say, well, I so I've only been on board the tour uh, side of things for this year and last year. And we have had pretty exceptional mm. weather in terms of it being sunny and hot. <laughs> uh, and that's that's probably where we have had to adapt the most uh, with our clients in terms of um, being able to work around heat. Uh, last year, coast to coast in the UK was uh, extremely hot. Uh, I wasn't expecting it, that's for sure. Uh, and I think a lot of the clients were surprised as well. But, you know, we we ended up adapting and leaving earlier or splitting the group to try to uh, make sure that everyone was safe and getting through without forcing people to have to run fast or, or too slow or anything like that. Crete was the same this year. Um, again, we had, I think... I did not see a cloud in the sky, I reckon, the whole time we were in Crete and it was probably 32, 33 every day. So it's just, it's, I guess, briefing the clients, uh, you know, what the mitigations are uh, in terms of the risk of heat stroke, uh, making sure people have water. I mean, our jobs as guides is to kind of have, you know, the little duck feet paddling underwater, but you can't see that. So, you know, we carry um, extra water, we carry filters to make sure that if in that uh, situation where, you know, someone doesn't uh, do very well in the heat, that we've got some backups there in yeah. terms of water. And that has happened before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've known Chris to drink from a cow puddle before. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that yeah. cow yeah. poo puddle cow, cow poo a cow poo puddle i mean whatever works <laughs> and i lived so there you go <laughs> no ill effects were had <laughs> from drinking. guys he had a filter let's just yeah well, and, and also we will yeah. never we will never force any client to drink out of <laughs> puddle <laughs> Disclaimer. Unless it's full of, unless it's full of uh, good Shiraz, okay? <laughs> good. No, of course not. Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> um, what do you think gets people coming back to your tours, those that have returned for a different tour or maybe even the same one? Maybe there's, I'm sure there's people that have come back to do exactly the same tour again. Yeah. What We've do you think brings yeah. them back? To coast to coast to come back four times. Wow. Um, where Pat wants to come back for a third time. Pat wants to come back for a third time. Mish um, wants to come back for a third time. Yeah, and we've had uh, Lee who, so she's, she came to Croatia, Croatia, she came to France and she came to Crete. So, yeah, we do definitely get people sort of, you know, coming back. Michelle Grocock, uh, she has come back on, I think, three coast-to-coasts, two to three coast-to-coast plus a couple of other tours, uh, France, et cetera. So, yeah, we definitely get returnees. Um, yeah. What brings them back, though? I, I would back. say this. This is just mine. I would say the camaraderie, and you know, we we had this discussion on coast to coast because you know Chris and I are not very good at marketing at all. Um, but the reason is because it's very hard to market what is so special about the tour and that's, you know, the camaraderie and the people it brings together. Like very rarely would you have a group of like-minded people who are all there for fun and adventure on trail seven hours a day 
for seven days in a row. Like you yeah. might have that in an event for a couple of hours and you know that buzz you get when you're around other people who are like you doing the same thing. It's like that, but it's for a week. And by the end of it, you just feel like you want to come back. You you don't want the little bubble, as we call it, the bubble to burst. Um, so I think definitely that camaraderie is something that people keep coming back for. And it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Even as a guide, like we're working, we're doing all the logistics and the safety. But for us, like it is fun and we hope that, uh, you know, we pass that on to the clients as well. And the, the the camaraderie, like I nearly feel like that's kind of nearly the wrong wrong word, but I think what I take from the, the camaraderie is it's the human connection. And I think like both Mish and I are really passionate about human connection and being real and you know being emotional. And like you know we we talk about emotions on a on a tour. We talk about real things. We don't you know it's not a training camp. We're not there to lay down a training plan. Um, no one's there to be fast. No one's there to be great runner or anything like that. So it is it is about that human connection, um, which translates into the camaraderie. But um, and and I think that's very different. I think a lot of uh, or you know tours in general can be very sometimes impersonal. The guides up there, um, and the guides doing their thing, mm. and we're back here doing our thing, and there's not heaps of communication. And whereas we we kind of really like to go, you know, it's nearly like an aim of ours, right? Can we get each and every one on this tour to feel like they're part of a family? Mm. you know and to feel as though that they are loved and welcomed and included and as as important as we are you know we're guiding but they're just as important as mm. as we are so i think that's probably the the real difference that as mish said you can't really mark it like hey everyone we're all about human connection on our trial run to us and you know I mean, I'm not good at marketing, but I kind of think I kind of know a little bit of what I'm doing in terms of trying to shed a light on this amazing thing that you've created. And I do know that what you have created is exactly what you're saying because I've experienced it firsthand. Obviously, I wasn't on a tour, (laughs) but it was like that anyway. Like when when you ran across the Larapinta and we were all part of a team, Mm. it was like being on a tour. We were connected. We all had the the same motivation and goals we were yeah. a team and a family and actually I left exactly like what you're saying these people on tour are wanting to come back with or mm. reason they want to come back is because of that connection and and like I just every year those pictures pop up into my feed and I just I get that feeling back again like I really want that feeling again where yeah. I was part of that bubble because yeah. you are, you're part of this amazing little bubble and nothing else could be happening in the world at that moment. You wouldn't even know. You're just totally connected to the people you're with and the place yeah. you're at. And it's just such a great experience. So I want people to experience that feeling. <laughs> it's all soppy, but it is. And and a lot of us yearn for those experiences and you're helping people to be able to experience the joy that comes from these adventures so is there anywhere else that you would love to add onto the tour de Charles calendar into the future any other places that you haven't mentioned that would be I mean both of you could say like Michelle is there any place that you would love to be able to go and put on a tour that hasn't been mentioned uh well we did the one that I've been hoping comes back up Uh, You know, at the moment, it's time for Chris and I and like finding these blocks of time where we can 
fit it in with obviously we have other jobs as well yeah um so I'm hoping somewhere soon we can fit in New Caledonia because I think one of the first articles I read from Trail Run Mag was when you went there and and did an article on it babe and I remember seeing the photos and like reading the story and I was like oh man I want to go there and then as you know, I met Chris and we've talked about like tour locations. It's close, you know, for it's it's good to go away for a 10-day running tour, you know, in Europe, but then you have the travel time and it ends up being quite a, a big chunk of time to be away. Whereas somewhere like New Caledonia, you could do, you know, it's only Chris was saying it's like a three-hour flight from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's l- less travel time. It's cheaper to get there, uh, you know, and we could do the tour and it, it's not such a big impact on, like, family life or work life um, and it still looks absolutely beautiful. So I'm hoping sometime soon we can find a space for that in the calendar. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I could, how long you got? I've got a long, long list. Of- <laughs> You've got 30 seconds to say which one you want. <laughs> Caledonia, Cuba, East Timor, Japan, oh, Turkey, Jordan. <laughs> I opened the can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, I'm, I'm very, you know, I mentioned, say, Cuba and East Timor. But, you know, for me, I like, I'd like to get a couple more, you know, some nice adventure ones in that are kind of narrative-driven and got a story behind them. Mm. And we touched on it in Crete where there's World War II stories and the Australian Anzacs were there and, um yeah. Quite incredible stories, and I'm not a war buff. I'm not into war history at all, but it's still very fascinating and very affecting, very transformative. Again, in in, in terms of um, the stories you hear and and attaching meaning to a place. And so East Timor has, you know, we want to go and do trails where the guerrillas sort of hid from the Indonesian army. You know, Zana Guzmo and all those guys. So that, again, when you're there, you're running on a trail and you're there, but then you stop at a cave. And you go, well, that's where they hid. You know, that's that kind of. Cuba's the same, Che Guevara, you know, that's where he ran around and there's all the trials and the rebels and that kind of thing. So those ones with stories I think are really kind of intriguing to me and I do have a bias as a, as a you know, as a journalist I like story and because then there's meaning and I can attach meaning to a place. And even when there's not that kind of deep meaning like somewhere like um, Turkey to the same way is just the same way, it's a walking trail. But um, I would go out of my way to find meaning and, and have the stories to be able to tell. So when we're in a place and running through a place, we can say, well, this is where that happened in history. And it could be long past history or, or near history. But, um, yeah, they're the things I sort of look for. But, you know, New Cal, obviously, again, is is one as well. And things that are just that little bit closer. Other places in Indo, you know, once we once we do Bali this year, we'll see how it pans out. But maybe looking at other places in Indo that, that sort of had the same thing, Um and people keep pointing me towards places like Vietnam and, and Thailand too, where it's a little bit further than Indo, but not as far as Europe. So, so there's still room on the tours for next year. Yes. Yep. 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 <laughs> Both nodding away. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, people can't see; they can only hear. <laughs> yeah. No. There's, there's places left. Um, I, I don't know exactly how many's on missions across that. Um, we have. Uh, seven spots left in the Bali tour. We have uh, ooh, eight spots left for France. And 
And we are confirming um, dates for the coast to coast as well right now. So that will go live shortly, hopefully. Right, Mish did have a brilliant marketing idea. <laughs> um, so for anyone who signs up uh, on any tour before the 10th of December, so any 2024 tour, um, if they sign up, uh, they get a free ticket to uh, five of the Tour de Trails events, so pretty much all the um, the old school Tour de Trails events. So Warby Trail Fest, uh, Wild Bound, Afterglow, Gold Rush, uh, Surf Coast Trail Marathon for 2024. So it's about 900 bucks worth of tickets that you kind of get um, a golden ticket to if you sign up before the 10th of December on, on any tours. Awesome. I'll make sure I add that into the show notes as well. Um, we're going to finish with the hot lap, which I don't know if I actually gave you because I only added it today. Michelle might have seen it because I only sent this to her again today. But uh, Chris hasn't. So Uh-oh. first question goes to Michelle. What is your favourite place to run or visit? Let's just go with where, what has been your favourite place to run and visit? <laughs> um, okay, I feel like I have been blessed to see many, many beautiful trails, um, but my favourite place right now would be Crete. Having just come back from that bubble, it is beautiful, Um it feels remote. It has amazing mountains that make you feel like you're on Mars. Chris and I had an amazing moment there. Um, you know, you're running along coastal trails where the water is just like the most epic blue colour and then you finish your run and you dive into that water. It's, yeah, it's just got everything that I could love and I would love to retire there one day. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this space, guys. Yeah. And, like, if you want to see the visuals of this, just, like, head on to Michelle's Instagram and <laughs> Tour de Trails, Chris's. I'll put these links in the show notes and you can see the most amazing pictures of this experience. That every time I see them, I'm like, I want to go to Crete. <laughs> it just looks so good. Crete is definitely the one that's on the top of my list. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Chris, what is the best thing that you have learned about yourself while being on tour? Oh. It's a hard what? question, isn't it? Hard question. <laughs> I mean, it's um, a hot lap. It has to be a fast answer. Yeah, true. Uh, probably that that I'm, 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 you know, we all suffer from imposter syndrome and I'm no exception to that. Um, and and so I think, you know, one is that, you know, I'm actually probably more capable than I give myself credit for. So that's my learning about myself. But I think overall, the whole tour to trials thing, the whole kit and caboodle is follow your passion. You know, like and 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 just do it. Like, don't stop talking about dreams and and actually just take it's big steps, small steps. Go and do it. So I, I've learned that actually just doing it imperfectly is better than waiting to do it perfectly. You know, just have a crack. Nothing we do is perfect, but um, we 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 at least get it going and we go out there and and we chase it. So yeah, learned that following your passion works. Love that. I should take some of your advice there. Love it. All right, Mish, your next question is, what has travel taught you about yourself? Um, I would say I feel like I'm, you know, a gypsy at heart. Like, a, you know, I have my home and my base here because of my kids, but every time I go and travel, I just I have this, like, yearning to, like, want to go more. Um. <laughs> 
So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel, you know, some people love their home base and some people love being out there exploring and I'm definitely the latter. Yeah. All right, Chris, next question's for you. What is the best thing that you think people should pack when coming on tour? Or one is that, one yeah. thing. Sense of humour. Oh, sense of humour. Easy. Easy. Can you right. get anything else? And a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right, Mish. What is a place that you wish you could tour to? Oh, we already sort of said this one. You mm. answered that one before. Anywhere else? Uh, a place that I wish I could tour to. Mm. Well, you said New Caledonia, but is there anywhere That's else? That's where I wish we could put a tour. But yeah, where would you want to tour to? If yeah. someone's taking you on tour. Mm. Um, if I could go on, so like I was a client and I was like, I want to go on a TDT tour somewhere. I would love to go to Japan just because I've lived there, but in my time living there, I didn't really immerse myself in the culture too much. Um, so, you know, I would, I would love to be on tour in Japan um, to kind of immerse myself a little bit more. I love the food, the people. I don't really know much about trails there other than Mount Fuji. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely somewhere I want to go back to. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, I know someone who's been on tour in Japan, just a walking tour last year, and mm -hmm. she's going back this year yeah. again because she loved it so much. So, Maybe two and ten. <laughs> I have I have a draft itinerary for yeah. a Japanese run tour, which we have discussed. But yeah, logistically, it's a bit trickier in Japan. I guess um, you know a couple of things have to fall into place for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, where can we find out more, guys? Where can we find out more about these amazing running tours coming into twenty twenty four? Uh, website www.tourdetrails.com uh, on Instagram at Tour de Trails, on Facebook at Tour de Trails. <laughs> marketing is Mish's Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Literally. Marketing than Tour de Trails marketing as well. <laughs> and my Instagram's our One Life Wild. <laughs> I'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes. Um, thanks for coming on. Thank you for sharing more about your passion and it's great to have you know you both on the podcast and Chris especially as well um love having you on I love having guys on the podcast <laughs> doesn't always have to be the girls um but yeah also just amazing humans and yeah I'm just thankful that you came into my life so I can share all about this so thanks guys thanks for having yeah. us just before we go just I don't know if we told you yet or not but uh after no, not after. Surf Coast Trail Marathon has pretty much an aid station that's in your honour these days because uh, the hash browns that you saved our lives with on Lara Pinta. Yeah. Um, I was trying to figure out something hot to put on a on a um, aid station at Surf Coast, the last aid station, and I was like, man, those hash browns. So in your honour, we now have hash browns <laughs> the last aid station. At Surf Coast Marathon. Um, I mean, I think you should call it the, the Nicole Bunyan aid station. <laughs> <laughs> Like MCR run it, Melbourne City runners run it, but um, it, it's 
kind of unofficially the uh, the Nicole Bunyan. <laughs> Just call it the hash the hash station. Nicole's <laughs> hash station. Nicole's hash station. Oh my gosh, love the best. Oh, <laughs> love it. Well, I hope you love this episode with Michelle and Chris. I hope it sparked your interest and excitement about booking perhaps a tour for 2024 on one of their amazing adventures to come. Um, You can find out more about those on the website, tourdetails.com, and I'll also put links to that in the show notes and also to Chris's other events that he runs in Victoria for 2024. Don't forget, if you're part of the member program, you also get 20% off of all of his events up to a certain uh, date, uh, early bird prices, and then uh, 15% off after that. Um, Don't forget also, if you book one of those tours, you're going to um, the running for that free golden ticket to all of these events so make sure you get in early and book a ticket to one of the tour details um tours for 2024 before the 10th of december um, also being an rma member you do get a discount on the tours for 2024 so the uh, prices for next year um, in the member program um, you'll get a 300 discount um, if you sign up six months prior to the departure Um, and you will also get a $250 discount for members of the member program um, if you book the tour after that. So the membership, of course, opens on December 1st, so make sure that you take advantage of those deals that will be available to you. Anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you loved this episode with Michelle and Chris, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next time.